Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan, co-head of uh, FX Strategy at JP Morgan. And I'm joined today by Anushka Kristovoa, um, our senior EM strategist uh, covering EMEA markets uh, and the rest of EM out of London. Today, the topic is uh, going to be um, focused on uh, the single biggest theme, um, at, at least in my view, for currency markets this year, which is yield compression. Uh, we've undergone a major regime shift in uh, the macro backdrop, uh, where we've had 80% of central banks hiking rates at one point in time, uh, given uh, you know in 2023. We're shifting from that to uh, progressively working towards 80% of central banks expected to now cut rates in 2024. Um, if you take a look at the composition of what those rate cuts will look like, um, they're going to be led by the very highest yielders. Uh, so as a result of that, a direct consequence of this, if it is realized, is that yield spreads on uh, carry baskets, in other words, the yield spread between the highest and the lowest yielders are going to compress as the year goes on. And that, um, in our view, uh, should, at least from a top-down perspective, uh, you know, become a more challenging environment for FX carry because essentially the overall level of yield that you can hope to monetize becomes narrower and narrower as the year goes on. And as a result, the strategy becomes less and less attractive um, as central banks cut rates. Now, obviously, there's always room for exceptions. Um, so the point of this conversation is going to be where is this yields, uh, where are these yields compressing the most? Uh, and where are among those, among those sort of currencies where yields is compressing quite a bit, where are valuations quite rich? Because what this will eventually give its way to is um, is basically a rotation away from carry uh, to value. The idea being, for the last couple of years, what's happened in currency markets is a massive amount of yield-seeking behavior, carry-chasing behavior, which has meant that the highest yielding currencies has attracted the most capital inflows and has progressively become rich. So the idea is some of these are not, not going to yield that much, and they should start to lose their richness as well. And as a result of that, at least for a subset of the currencies, valuations will start to become a more relevant driver of currency returns. So that's the general idea behind this carry value rotation. We've been talking about it uh, for at least uh, for at least a quarter now, one of the major themes for um, FX markets this year. And um, I, I think uh, given that most of the highest yielders are in emerging markets, um, probably that's the good place to start. So Anashka, let's um, let's start with you as far as uh, EM is concerned. Uh, among the highest yielders, um, which ones are going to lead the rate cuts? And uh, as a result, which ones are going to be under the most pressure um, from your point of view? So this theme is uh, very relevant uh, for our asset class. Uh, as you said, many of the high yielders are in EM, but many have started their easing cycles or are about to start. So when we take a step back, our high yielding basket which we had for most of 2023 last year, it had uh, Max, Bra uh, Brazil, uh, COP, Chilean peso, and a half. These are our top carry currencies. Out of those, four have already started their easing cycles. And in some cases, these are very rapid easing cycles. So at this moment, uh, we still think the carry theme applies. It applies where the cuts are not particularly fast, or they are coming with a backdrop of strong macro fundamentals or not particularly stretched valuations. So in that bucket where the carry theme still holds, it's a narrow bucket, but it still holds, it's, it's, it's Max in Brazil. 
Now, for the rest of the currencies, we think that the pace of easing already raises concerns. And it's, it's a bit of a tactical choice where, where we think uh, it, it's really based on the currency or not. Uh, some of the examples where the cutting cycle is, is, is rather fast and it could start weighing on the FX or it's weighing already. That's for instance, Hungary. It is for instance, uh, a Colombian peso. Uh, elsewhere, the market has already caught up to the theme. So I'd say uh, we are a lot more neutral on Chilean peso at this moment, even though it fits the theme, the FX market uh, has been quite uh, forward-looking there and, and, and pricing it uh, more appropriately. There are some other currencies I would highlight where perhaps the starting level of carry wasn't so high, so it wouldn't have fitted the, the, the very high carry basket, but they still benefited from carry inflows and where perhaps valuations are a bit more of a concern. So they are starting as very expensive. Um, check Corona very much in that bucket. Perhaps we never reached the highest levels of carry, but we did reach very high levels of carry for the currency with these particular risk, uh, risk characteristics. Um, and now we are in the easing cycle. The easing cycle started in December. So that's one currency where the valuations combined with the fact that you are taking the carry away uh, could also mean a very different outlook for 2024. Thanks, Anashka. Um, so it looks like the likes of uh, Czech are going to be more vulnerable compared to clearly the likes of Brazil and Mexico, where yields are going to stay quite elevated. Now, what about the current low yielders? Uh, you know, are there are there some cheap ones there that are poised uh, for a recovery? Um, yes, I think that's another really important angle. We we do have some currencies that could fit this theme on the other side, on the funder side. Um, but again, it's 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 a it's it's something that we have to assess on kind of currency per currency basis because if we step back, some of the funders for the carry trade have very much been in Asia. So perhaps Asia could be a natural beneficiary from a kind of end to the carry trade and a switch to value. Now that is true, uh, but we have to also take into account that the central bank preferences. So for instance, one example I would give you is uh, Malaysian ringgit. It could fit the theme very well, but the preferences in Asia are often for currency stability. And at this moment, um, perhaps any benefits that could come to Malaysian ringgit would rather be um, taken advantage of or the central bank will take advantage via accumulating or recovering FX reserves. So where we think the theme could really well apply in Asia is uh, Taiwanese dollar. That's uh, something that could fit the theme very well, where perhaps the strong BOP combined with the uh, valuations, combined with the re reversal of the carry trade could, uh, could end up supporting the currency quite well. In my region, in EMEA AM, there's one candidate that I would really like to highlight that fits this theme um, kind of even better <laughs> because not only it's uh, coming out of the previous years. It was in 2023, actually a low carry currency. Uh, it ended up finishing the year rather cheap in very long-term valuations. It's really underpriced. It's already pricing recession risk really well. And now as we're heading into 24, it's actually also improving in the carry metrics. So it's having the valuation angle, plus it's switching from funder to a carry currency and that's South African rand. So that's one currency where we think we are at an inflection point where we could see a very different performance over 2024 um, than 2023 as, as the theme shifts. Um, 
I think these are really the major candidates in the end, but let's turn it back to G10. Mira, where do you think that this theme applies in G10 the most? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very relevant for G10 as well. Um, as you said, the highest, the very highest yielders globally are in EM, but in G10 as well, if you if you take a look at some of the highest yielders, um, you know, that they're, they're actually, you know, pretty elevated relatives um, levels compared to their own history. So, um, you know, currencies like New Zealand and sterling, even though they have weaker um, sort of fundamentals, at least from a macro standpoint, have been actually unduly supported because of the scary theme. Um, the dollar, you know, is, uh, you know, obviously should be stated up front, is not exactly a funder. Uh, it's actually one of the highest yielding G10 currencies and a defensive one at that at five and a half percent, you know, is, is part of that basket as well. So, um, look, I mean, there are a few candidates. The ones that I would I would highlight as um, the current high yielders that we would be viewing as being vulnerable to this theme, I would say, first of all, New Zealand. Um, our economists are pointing out that this uh, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand will be among the first central banks to actually cut rates, uh, just, uh, you know, given, uh, given the financial stability concerns um, that they think are in the pipeline. Uh, they think the RBNZ is uh, sort of guiding very hawkish, but they'll have to correct that. Uh, if you compare to somebody like Australia, that that puts you in quite direct contrast with the Reserve Bank of Australia because uh, we're not really looking for cuts there, um, and so you know we should be looking for yield convergence between Australia and New Zealand as the, as the year progresses. Uh, that should first of all help um, erode New Zealand's uh, yield advantage, and you know if it sort of brings you down to the level of Australia, then two things start to happen. First of all. The terms of trade, um, you know, has been moving more in favor of Australia in recent years compared to New Zealand. Uh, you know, our local strategists have been making the point that Aussie Kiwi is undershooting the relative terms of trade quite a bit. Uh, the relative fundamentals, if you look at New Zealand, for ex example, external balances is one of the largest, uh, the deficits, the current account deficits is one of the largest globally, uh, not just within G10, but actually globally. Uh, at around six or seven percent of GDP, so all of that will start to matter once that yield uh, advantage erodes. So, uh, you know, the expectation is certainly for us uh, for Aussie dollar to outperform New Zealand dollar as the year progresses on that basis. So that that fits the theme quite well. Uh, the other one, um, you know, is uh, I would say, um, you know, sterling is a one vulnerable candidate. Uh, if you take a look at um, if you take a look at um, the underlying uh, sort of macro outlook from our economists, you know, it's really not great. The expectation is that in second half of this year, the growth in the UK is going to be either zero or sub-zero. Uh, at least, you know, we're going to end Q4 in negative territory. The core inflation forecast is the highest in DM. And again, you know, we've had um, the UK you know, sterling's been benefiting from the fact that growth has been somewhat resilient so far because of limited pass-through of, of the policy hikes that we've had from the BOE. Uh, but certainly as the year progresses, that's going to get more and more entrenched. So, um, you know, the idea is, and also if BOE cuts rates, then some of that yield convergence towards the dollar should mean that it, it starts to, uh, sterling starts to lose uh, some of its uh, high-yielding uh, benefits. Um, and you contrast that to a country um, like Sweden, where, you know, stocky is incredibly cheap. It's been used as a high beta funder, much like Aussie. Uh, you know, the Scandies and Aussie have been 4% currencies. Compare that to the US dollar at five and a half. You know, you actually get paid um, at, at the current standpoint, you actually get paid to be underweight these currencies versus the dollar because, and at the same time have some growth hedges on. So I think as the yields come off, 
um, in Sweden, uh, you know, um, actually some of these uh, perversely, what we'll find is that given that the economy is highly levered and a lot of that debt is floating rate debt, I think that's not, you know, Sweden will be one economy which will actually be one of the first to benefit from those falling rates. So um, to me, the fact that the valuations are cheap and you're getting yield convergence uh, of, um, you know, stocky compared to some of the other, uh, you know, relative to some of the other currencies is going to mean that uh, that stocky valuations can actually mean revert uh, a bit higher uh, compared to the likes of uh, sterling. So certainly there is a convergence trade uh, or a con convergence theme, uh, at least uh, that people can think about um, on that point. As far as um, exceptions go, you know, I agree with you, there will be exceptions. I don't think this can be something that applies to every single currency out there. The dollar at 4% yields, you know, that's what the yield is going to be by the end of the year with Fed cuts. I think that's still not bad for a defensive currency. And, you know, you combine that with some of the growth exceptionalism, the U.S. is still benefiting and enjoying right now. Um, I think it's really going to be hard to motivate investors to sort of uh, decisively uh, rotate out of the dollar to some of these other currencies. You know, like I said, four percent isn't bad for a defensive currency that's that's uh, growing above trend. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have something like Japan, where sure the B uh, the BOJ will will exit negative interest rates, um, but still at the end of the day will de facto have negative two hundred basis points of real yields and um, still close to zero nominal yields. So. You know, you can't really argue for a complete reversal in yen valuations and hence why we think dollar yen will probably end up settling close to the mid 140s to really go down to the 130s. What you need is a U.S. recession and a massive, uh, massive um, sort of substantially more rate cuts than what the market is pricing in right now for the Fed. So um, in a nutshell, uh, on the G10 side, I would say New Zealand and Sterling are uh, the vulnerable candidates and uh, Australia and Sweden are the relative uh, recovery candidates. Um, so that's uh, that's all we had for today on this theme. Uh, please take a look at jpmorganmarkets.com for additional research uh, on this topic and other topics as well. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 30th, 2024.